Welcome to the Exhibit A podcast. Hello and welcome to Exhibit A, where we talk about serious and sometimes not so serious topics on family law and other legal matters. Uh, anything that comes to mind that will make people interested and want to follow us further. Uh, with me today is a superstar. We've got Casey Marti Carena, my partner. She's been working with me for the past at least 10 years. Is that right, Casey? That's right. And uh, let me just talk a little bit about Casey. If you aren't a client of Casey's or a former client of Casey's, you need to know about this, this woman. Uh, I call her Iron Woman because of her immense strength. She's laughing now. Don't laugh. Okay. <laughs> Casey is a graduate of Southwestern University School of Law. She's a certified family law specialist. She sits as a trustee of the Pasadena Bar Association, and she's been practicing family law for at least 10 years, I think, right? Am I about right? Closer to 11. Oh, 11 years. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's escaping me. Okay. Now, Casey is Iron Woman because she's the most organized uh, woman that, or person that I've ever met. Uh, one of the things that you need to know about Casey is she's a mother of two little boys. She's also somebody that when she went to undergraduate school, and if I'm getting any of these facts wrong, you correct me on this, okay? Okay. But uh, when she went to undergraduate school, uh, she had paid for her own college as she went to school. In other words, you worked full-time, right? And you uh, went to UC Irvine. I worked part-time while I was at UC Irvine. Okay, so I got the fact a little bit off. (laughs) But you still, you paid for it all by the time that you were done. That's right. Which is incredible. That's I right. think that a lot of students today wish that they could do that. I don't know if it's still possible, but even when you graduated, that was pretty pretty impressive. I'm mentioning all of this because one of the things I know about you is, is that you really are organized. And I remember a few years ago, you told me that you learned after practicing for a few years that the key to being an attorney is time management, learning how to use your time and being organized. And that's the name of the game. Do you still feel that way? Absolutely, uh, Don. Thanks for having me, and thank you for that introduction. Um, that is the key to managing all of our cases and uh, keeping the stress at bay. Definitely. Uh, okay. So, if you were to say to all of the aspiring young attorneys out there, what would you say about time management? How how do you do what you do? I would say that you have to be, you know, uh, communicative with who the attorney, whoever's giving you the assignment, you have to look at your own um, responsibilities and be able to tell the person, yes, I can complete this by, you know, the date that you want it. And if you're unable to, then you need to communicate with the attorney and say, um, you know, I'm in a time crunch. I'm not going to be able to complete it. Maybe you should reassign it to someone else. Um, but well, that's you're, you're that's... talking about people working for you. Right. What about you? What do you do, though, to be able to organize? Well, what I do is I'm practical about, uh, you know, what I'm able to accomplish first. And second, I prioritize my court deadlines. Uh, You know, those those things are my top priority. You know, that's essentially how you're able to do is prioritize court deadlines and then go from there. um, And you don't procrastinate. You don't let things sit because in family law, that can be very dangerous territory. Right, right. Okay. Well, I just thought I'd mention that for people that don't know Casey Marti Carreno, because you got to know that uh, she's able to do all this with a smile on her face and she keeps on ticking. And I have to say, Dawn, it also, I think what's really important is having uh, a team. And if you have people that you get along with well that you respect and they respect you. You can rely on. You can rely on them. Um, they work. They'll they'll go above and beyond to help you accomplish what you need to accomplish, and they'll do it 
with a smile on their face. So I think I have to credit my paralegal Jackie, um, the law clerks that I work with, you know, the front desk staff that manage, helps manage our calendar. I think that's crucial. That's true. But you're able to make it work because you also have leadership abilities. I mean, that's that's something. You could have great people working with you or for you, but if you're not a leader like yourself, it, uh, it could still go sideways, well, right? Well, thank you for saying that, Don. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's true. Okay, so let's change the topic a little bit. So one thing that our viewers ought to know is, is that you uh, have handled all kinds of family law cases, uh, but when I think about you with the difficult cases you've done through the years, I really think of child custody cases. You and I have worked together a lot. We've gone to court. We've slugged it out uh, lots and lots of times. I love working with you. Uh, and what I know about your caseload is, is that you have handled a lot of what we call move-away cases. Some people call them relocation cases, and that's kind of a newer phrase for it. But we're talking about a situation where one of the parents wants to move away from uh, the other parent, far away usually, like another state or another country, for various reasons. Um, you've been uh, on cases where people have been overseas, right? That's right. And the way we have to think of those cases is the parent can go wherever they want. It's it's really it's asking the court if the children can go. And there's, you know, someone that wants to move with the children. And then there's someone that's staying back in California that doesn't want the children to go. And I think in this day and age, people are living across country from one another and different meeting and living in different countries. So it's something that we see a lot more. Okay. So we're seeing that a lot more. Let's put this into some realistic context. And I want to, I want to tell you a story, which I'm prone to do all the time. Okay. okay. If I bore you, let me know. Okay. Okay. This is a hypothetical because we certainly don't want to use any of our current or past clients' information, making it public. It would be unethical for us to do this. But I'm going to draw from many of the cases that we've handled together. Okay, I want to ask you about this hypothetical, so I'll ask you some questions afterwards. Let's assume that there's a young woman from the great state of Illinois. In fact, the suburbs of Chicago. She's born and raised there. She's got her, all of her brothers and sisters there. She's educated in Illinois. She goes to Northern Illinois University. She gets a degree, uh, let's say it's in literature. Upon graduation, she decides that she's going to fly to the state of California, Los Angeles, because she wants to escape the weather and she wants to have a more exciting life. She gets over here. She works for a doctor's office. She's looking for work. She decides she's going to land and she works for a doctor's office. She works as kind of a, a receptionist. After about six months there, she strikes up a relationship with a young doctor who's on his way up in his career, somewhat of a workaholic, but a nice guy. And before you know it, these people get married. Isn't that wonderful? Do you like the story so far? So far, so good. Okay. 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 So far, no family law attorney needed, so keep going. <laughs> well, we, we didn't talk about a prenup, so there's okay. no prenup in this. <laughs> okay. So these parties, uh, they're getting along, and guess what? They fall in love and they get married and they have some children and they live in Southern California. The doctor continues in his career, keeps working. This woman from Illinois decides that she's going to quit and tend to the children uh, as a housewife. Unfortunately, as a couple of more years go by, the marriage breaks down. And for whatever reason, uh, we don't need to get into that. But she finds herself in a situation where he doesn't really want to support her other than what the court's going to order her, uh, him to pay her. And she doesn't really have any family out here to support her. She doesn't have a lot of friends or anything like that. 
the woman's thinking, boy, for the next 18 years or so, I've got to live over here by myself with these two children. I don't really have a great career. I don't have any family support. I think I'd be a lot better off back in Chicago, back in the suburbs over there where my family lives. My mom and dad are still alive. My mom is retired. She could she could help out. Uh, and there's some job opportunities out there. You know, when she left the suburbs of Chicago, there were some teaching jobs that she might have been able to take up. So she wants to move over there, and she's got good reasons for doing it. If she stays here, she's going to be living in a state of, you know, maybe not impoverished, but it's just not going to be great, okay? Now, on the other side of this story is this doctor. Now, he's never been really a stay-at-home type of dad, right? He's a workaholic, but he loves his kids dearly. And he knows in his heart that if his wife is allowed to move to the state of Illinois with his children, that it's going to impact his relationship with those kids. I mean, he just knows that. He knows that he's not going to be able to go to all their events, and he's not going to be that loving, caring father that he dreamt of being. That's my situation there. Uh, does it sound fam familiar to you? It sounds familiar, and so far in the hypothetical, we're not on either side of the case, but it's very familiar, and it's the hardest type of case because on the one hand, you have the, you know, the mother that doesn't really have much support in California, doesn't really want to be here, uh, has no reason to be here other than, you know, the the husband, and that's now coming to an end. Uh, and then on the other hand, you have the doctor father who, you know, if the children leave, like you said, uh, there's not going to be much of a relationship. I mean, there could there are things that, you know, could be implemented to make sure that that relationship stays strong, but it's the hardest, hardest type of case. Okay. Either way, it's it's a difficult case. Right. And you've mentioned already that we haven't taken a side yet. Okay. Right. So knowing what you know about these type of cases, what are these two people who are now in family court going to expect from the judge? What, what are they going to be looking at? Well, the mother can expect to have to file a motion in family court asking the court permission to move the children to Illinois. That's the first step. Um, what she's not going to do is she's not going to take the children to Illinois and then ask permission later from the courts because that's a bad, bad thing, and that's not going to go well for her uh, ultimately when the court's looking at whether she should be able to go because one of, the thing that, one of the things that's really important is is the mother going to cooperate with court orders? Does she, is, she going to, is she going to foster the relationship with the father? So if she commits that bad act right from the jump, then it's not going to go well for her. What the, father's, what the father can expect is either he can be proactive and he can go file a motion and make sure that custody and visitation stays is with him in California. Um, alternatively, he can wait for the mother to file something and he can respond to it and ask the court, essentially say, I, I'm not okay with the move and ask the court to make sure that the children live in California with him. Now, I'll, I will say from your hypothetical, you outlined a lot of reasons why the mother wants to move and why it would be good for her and her family support. But if I'm arguing for dad, I would say, I didn't hear anything about the children and why it's good for them. Certainly, you know, things that are good for the mother will trickle down to the children. But if I'm representing the father, I'm looking at those arguments and saying, all of that is fine and dandy for you, mom, but what about the children? And then I would focus on, for if I'm representing the father, what's in the best interest of the children and why should they stay in California? Okay. And so the case is moving along in court. Judge gets it at that initial hearing. What's he likely to do 
before he makes a decision as to whether or not she can relocate with the children? Well, like I tell people, it's not just that first court appearance. That first court appearance is like introducing yourself to the judge. Hello, we're here, and this is what we want to do. I think that people need to be prepared that it's going to take at least one year to resolve the entire case. But at that first court appearance, what you're initially telling the court is that, hey, someone wants to move, and most likely we're going to need a child custody evaluation, which is this in-depth report uh, prepared. And most likely we're going to need a full trial or evidentiary hearing. So um, that first court appearance is going to be really just kind of laying out the roadmap for, for the case and what everyone needs to do over the next six months to a year. Okay. So you think that it's going to take about six months to a year for it to complete? I do. And I mean, I think six months is really, six months is, I think we should have an evaluation, child custody evaluation done. But I think that in order to get to that final trial, I'm thinking about a year. Okay. So mom is really has no choice but to stay in the Los Angeles area under this hypothetical situation. And, uh, you know, she has hopes of moving to the suburbs of Chicago. She probably even has applications for jobs out there, maybe looking at daycare, making arrangements, hoping that she's going to be allowed to move. Meanwhile, she's been told that she's got to stay here for at least six months to a year. What does she do during that time period? What does she do? During that time period, she's going to comply with all the court orders. She's going to understand that she's under a microscope and that her co-parenting efforts with father are really going to be you know, hyper-focused on. Her communications that are all written are, are all going to be subjects of potential uh, evidence in court. Um, she is going to make sure that she uh, communicates with her attorney because it's the whole the entire time that, that she's on hold waiting, um, she's strategizing with her attorney and working on the case. Now, that's the litigation side. From a, from a real-life practical standpoint, I've, I've seen clients, they're kind of on hold, and that's the reality. It's, they're kind of planning for their lives if they stay in Los Angeles and kind of planning for their lives if they move out of state. And, it's, and it, as an attorney representing those clients, it really makes you focus on those cases and move those cases forward because if those cases sit stagnant, then there's someone's life that's completely on hold, not to mention the children, of course, yeah. you know. So it's difficult. Yeah, especially if they're trying to find work during that time period and it's just a temporary situation. Let, now let me ask you this. Now you're representing Dad. Dad's got six months to a year before the judge makes an order. Are you going to tell Dad to engage in any type of behavior during that pendency? Well, if I'm representing dad and he's the left behind parent, quote, quote unquote, and uh, I would tell dad, spend a lot, a lot of time with the children. Make sure that you comply with all the court orders. Um, also, same, same advice. The extent to which he's effectively co-parenting is important. That's super, super important both ways. Uh, respectful communication, business-like written communication, uh, and... You know, that's essentially what the father's going to be doing. He's going to be preparing for opposing the move away, and there's going to be litigation happening. But at the same time, he is continuing on. And, I mean, if we're talking strategy, I think, you know, the father wants to make sure that he works on maintaining that bond with the children, even though they're not now, you know, mom and dad are separated. 
dad is going to carry on life as if, as if the children are in California, they're in California now and they're going to be in California. So the extent to which the children are going to go to a great school and be enrolled in their extracurricular activities that they love. And, you know, the children really shouldn't feel, you know, being kind of in this gray area. So he should be going to PTA meetings and uh, the soccer uh, matches and all of that. He should be very involved during that period, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Nothing should change and nothing, you know, should father the stay away parents shouldn't act as if things are in a gray area and we're just going to be all stagnant and not do anything. You're going to continue to be active as you were previously. Okay. Well, as we're wrapping up on this topic, as an attorney handling these type of cases, do you find yourself having more difficulty emotionally handling these cases than you do a typical custody case or is it no different? I think that this type of case is, like I said, the hardest type of case because it's very black and white. You know, um, at the end of the case, it's either yes, you know, the children are moving and, you know, you succeeded for your client or depending which side on you're on or no, the children are staying back. It's very black and white. Whereas other custody cases, you know, you're asking for 15 things and you get some and you don't get others. And, you know, it's all kind of a give and take. And I think with with years of experience, you've already prepared your client for the areas where you feel a little bit more confident. Um, but overall, I think at the, you know, for most attorneys at this stage in practice, you've learned by this time to set the emotions aside and focus on, you know, focus on the road to get to the end. It's such a difficult type of case that you can't, you start on day one thinking, oh, how's the judge going to rule? I mean, you, you, you'll, you'll be, you know, you'll be just kind of scared straight and won't, won't act. Um, but really you have to focus on strategy day to day and giving your client uh, some manageable expectations. And I think that's what it's all about. That's the secret here is never oversell anything and evaluate the case as you go and have open uh, conversations with your client and say, listen, we're, we're good here. We're not so good here. So, you know, that's, that's all we can do as attorneys. We, we cannot guarantee results and we cannot, we're not psychics either, right. but we can kind of evaluate and, you know, as we go and manage our clients expectations. Yeah. So that's the best thing that we can do for them and for our own stress management, <laughs> which is very important in doing this type of work. You know, I, I left one thing untouched, and I, I, sh I should say this, is that I've seen on a lot of your cases that you continue on having relationships with these parents, whether they're the left-behind parents or the parents that are allowed to move, because sometimes there's some post-judgment issues. Uh, so there's some cases, let's just say in this hypothetical again, mama's allowed to move to uh, Chicago, and you're representing mom, and dad is now flying out to Chicago to visit with the children uh, once a month and there's some problems going on over in Chicago. Uh, those are the type of situations that you've been dealing with in some of your cases, right? I have dealt with those situations, but I will say that for the most part, when we craft these orders, because sometimes there's an evaluation and it says, you know, X result is, is most, you know, X result is recommended and then sometimes they settle. When we, when we draft these agreements, we try to be really, really detailed. Or when we go to trial, we tr we ask for very detailed orders so everyone knows what to expect, date and time that you're traveling, where you're picking up, where you're dropping off. Okay, so you do all of that, and then sometimes you still have 
these issues. For example, you know, all of a sudden, one of the parents can't afford to fly back and forth anymore. Mm. And, you know, on the one hand, it's, you know, maybe maybe it's maybe it's the the move away, you know, the, the mom in this hypothetical that moves. She chose to move. Maybe she's not working yet. But at the same time, we have the left behind parent who maybe can't afford to travel back and forth um, to, to Illinois. Now the court's looking at the best interest of the children. Who should pay for these flights? Do we give, you know, credit or do we make an adjustment on child support? Those are the types of issues that can happen. Also, children obviously get older over time. So what was appropriate six years ago doesn't work anymore. The 16-year-old doesn't want to spend the summer in California. The 16-year-old wants to hang out with his friends in Illinois. So those are the types of things that you see come up post-judgment. Cool. Well, I think that I've uh, taken up a lot of time. I want to thank you very much for this conversation. I hope that you're going to join me again in future episodes of Exhibit A. And uh, just thank you very much. And thank you to our viewers for watching this episode. And that's all I have for today. Exhibit A is produced by David Lindley at the law offices of Donald P. Schweitzer in Pasadena, California. For more information, visit us online at PasadenaLawOffice.com and all social media platforms.